You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. There's some energy in the room today, I don't know about you, but uh, so I'd like a, a yes. Can we all go yes? Great. Yeah. Right. I love live, living in London. I absolutely love it. I found out some facts, and after each one that appeals to you, I'd like you to go yes. There are 170 museums that you can visit in London. Yes. There are 200 West End shows every day. Yes! 250 festivals in the capital. Yes! We're not quite into festivals. Okay, let's see who goes on a yes on this one. 380 public libraries. (laughs) 796 cinema screens. Yes! That is a fifth of all the cinema screens in the country are in London. 900 bookshops. Twice as many as New York. Four and a half thousand pubs and bars. 14,350 filming days, making it one of the most filmed cities in the world. Yeah. (laughs) 24,500 cabs just to travel you around. Oh, well, there you go. I, I absolutely love living in London. I've been here 22 years. Yeah, I didn't get onto the shops. That's not one of the things I love about London. The home of football, Wembley is here. The home, surely, of rugby with Twickenham. You've got tennis at Wimbledon. Six premiership teams to choose from. The only city in the world that's hosted the Summer Olympics three times. There was a guy, I'm sure you've never heard of him, called Samuel Johnson. He was a diarist in 1777. He said this, he who is tired of London is tired of life. Now, it must be true because I read it on the internet this week. If you live in London, you are likely to live longer. The average guy lives an extra two months and the average woman an extra six months because they live in the capital. I absolutely love the city. What's all this got to do with the Bible? We're going to read a passage from 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5, the words will be coming up. You can look on your phones or your iPads or even pick up a book and read the passage with me. This is David establishing Jerusalem. And some would say this is being considered one of the most important cities of the world. David conquers Jerusalem. I'm going to read 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 to 10. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say the blind and lame will not enter the palace. David then took up residence in the fortress, and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward 
And he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. This is our gift day. We're thinking all about what's God calling us to build. Now we can be thinking about money, but we can also think about ourselves and getting involved. And, and I just felt God take me to this story. I feel really excited about bringing it to you this morning. What has happened, just to give you a little bit of background, is Saul, who was the first king of Israel, has died. David, the shepherd boy that you might have heard of who defeated Goliath, is anointed king over one tribe, Judah. He therefore moves his family to a place called Hebron, and he rules over this one tribe. If you remember the Israelites, there was 12 tribes. He rules over Judah for seven years and six months. And then basically the other tribes come to him and say, look, to be honest, you always used to lead us into battle under Saul. We would really like you to be our king as well. And the, the passage before tells us that he ends up becoming king of the whole nation for 33 years. And, and the events that I've read to you today are right at the beginning of his reign. President Roosevelt, in his inauguration speech on the 4th of March in 1933, said this. This nation asks for action and action now. There are many ways in which it can be helped, but it can never be helped merely by talking about it. We must act and act quickly. In this dedication of a nation, we humbly ask the blessing of God. President Roosevelt of the United States did so much in the first 100 days of his presidency that now every president of the United States is judged by what they've achieved in the first 100 days. It's almost like he got into power and he thought, right, what are we going to do? I would say he got the whole idea from David. I believe that the events that we read this morning was what David did within the first 100 days of his reign over the entire kingdom. And I want us to look at this and to almost pick up something of David's attitude of excitement and adventure and conquest. And how can we get this inside of us as a church? I've got lots of points. If you're jotting stuff down, you're going to have to write fast. If not, you can always listen to these things. They are podcasts. I would say that as a church, I'd love us to pick up the attitude of David, which can be good and can be challenging. The first attitude I would say that we've got to learn from this is expect opposition. You don't want me to start on that because I'd much rather start with the positives. But the reality was that David was going to attack the Jebusites. Where he wanted to go, there was people that were going to oppose him. I, I don't imagine, in fact, we know that they didn't. They didn't stand there and say, David, it's great to see you, just come on in. You can have our houses. In fact, David, you can have, you can have everything. All that we've collected, our food, our wine, the fact that we've done the fields around our side. No, they decided they were going to fight back. If you want something great, most of us realize there's a fight. I was going to say about marriage. You're not supposed to fight one another. You're supposed to fight for it. If you want a great marriage, you've got to invest in it. If you want to raise your kids up to do well, you've got to fight to make the time. You've got to lie, we heard this morning, to every child and tell them that they're their, your favorite. But in all seriousness, you have got to be saying, haven't you, to, to each kid, look, 
I love you and I'm for you and I want time with you. We've got to expect opposition. You don't just walk into great things. Stephen Covey, some of you would have read one of his books, said this, just as we develop our physical muscles through overcoming opposition, such as lifting weight, we develop our character muscles by overcoming challenges and adversity. But he's an American. I thought the English guy would say it a little bit shorter, and Winston Churchill comes to my aid. He says this, a kite flies against the wind, not with it. I thought that's real challenging, isn't it? A kite flies against the wind, not with it. So often we think we want to go with the flow. Often the fish that are going with the flow are the dead ones. Salmons are uh, swimming upstream, you know what I'm saying? There's like this living fish. I think we've got to be prepared. How do we take this? Actually, there could be a challenge, but we're in for it, aren't we? I've got one yes. Any more yeses? Are we in for it? Point number two on my attitude. This is my introduction, by the way. I don't know what the time is. We've got to keep on fighting, even if there's been a place of failure in the past. You see, what had happened is this city, Jerusalem, had been a bit of an Achilles heel for the nation. If you read the book of Joshua, which was so Moses took the people out of slavery in Egypt, they wandered around for 40 years, and then it was Joshua that took them into the promised land. Well, in Joshua 15, we read Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites lived there. They'd had a fight before, and they'd lost. Now, after the book of Joshua, you know that they settled in the land. Then came the book of Judges. And there, it was like these people that were raised up to almost help God's people when they made a mess of things. In Judges chapter 1, we read this. The the Benjaminites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there. So what's the challenge for me here? Our attitude is this, we won't let the past define the future. It would have been so easy for David to think, we can't take that city. We've tried it before. We couldn't do it before, we'll forget it and we'll move on. But actually he thought, no, even though in the past it's not worked, I believe that we can change it in the future. There's got to be something of carry on going. C.H. Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher in this in fact, in London, in, uh, I think the age of 21, he had, a, he had a church of about 2,000 in central London. He said this, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if that's a theologically sound thing, but we know two of everything went in there. You know, it wouldn't have been a rush for the snail, but he was saying, we've just got to keep on going. I tell you, we've got to be those that keep on going. What, what else must our attitude be as we're coming to say, oh God, what's, what's the city you've called us to build? What's the Jerusalem that we get involved in? I think this. Don't listen to the words of others. You see, this city was considered a safe place. It was surrounded on three sides. They were so confident, the Jebusites, that they couldn't be defeated, that they declared, hey, the blind and the lame could ward you off. Now, we're a little bit nervous about this in our PC society, But basically what they're saying is, look, I can't see, but I could still stop you from here. The lame, they were saying literally those that would be very slow of movement or would have no controlled movement, they could ward you off. They were so confident. David could have been intimidated by the words of others. 
Are you intimidated by the words of others? Have people spoken over you in the past? You're never quite good. I don't know. I mean, you're just not that type. I don't think you'll quite make that standard. You'll always be like this. You'll never achieve that. David did not back away because of the words of others. We know that David was the shepherd boy who spent time in prayer listening to the words of God. Joel Osteen, who leads a large church in the States, says everyone is going to have their critics. It's easy to get discouraged. Are you one that thinks, I'm going to press on, I'm going to fight, I'm going to take this city? Or are you one that listens to the words of others? Attitude number four. I think one of the great things that David did is he overcame the battle for the mind. I don't know if you picked up on that verse. As I've just been reading about it this week, it says, they thought David won't get in there. So often we know that our behavior is shaped by our thinking. So David instead speaks out this truth, doesn't he? Like, this is how we're going to do it. What's your thought life like? Even as we're doing this as a gift day, you know, what, what are you thinking on the inside? We've got to be those that speak out truth. Joyce Mayer, a very famous Christian speaker today, says you cannot have a positive life and a negative mind. The danger is too many of us, if we're in, on the inside, we've just got a negative mind. And David is going to take this city. He's thinking, I've got, to, I've got to think some positive things here. What else do I see? I see that David made a plan. He'd obviously thought of this strategy before that hand. Now, this whole water shaft then became a difficult thing. And I'd love to have given you a diagram and said, well, actually, this is how it was. They're not quite sure. Bible commentaries are written by people that are really clever that spend hours and hours looking at it, write lots and lots of pages and charge quite a lot of money. But all of them disagree on what does it mean. Some of them even talked about, was it like scaling hoops and that you'd have to climb up because this city was up high and it was surrounded. Some of them thought, no, actually it was to do with a river that was elsewhere and if you blocked off the river, you'd be able to crawl along the tunnel. We don't know the specifics. What we do know is that David obviously had a plan. He didn't just go with the flow. If you go with the flow, you get dragged by the crowd. But actually, if we want to do something, if we as a church are thinking, what's God calling us to do? We've got to make a plan. Bear Grylls, the great adventurist that I'm sure you've seen on the TV, says this, the appeal of the wild for me is his unpredictability. You have to develop an awareness, react fast, be resourceful, and come up with a plan and act upon it. How good are we at coming up with a plan? How good are we at saying, oh God, what is it that you're asking us to build here? This is all by way of introduction. Some of you are now panicking. I've got two more, and then I'll get on to what I want to say this morning. What other attitude do we discover from David and building the city? foundations are important. You see, when King David gets in, it says there that he built from the terraces back. Now, the reality was it that because the rain would come down and because it was held together, literally this mud and these rocks, as the city got bigger, it's almost like these supports needed strengthening. And if he didn't strengthen the supports, what he built on top would crumble. He realized to get in and make this a great city, he needed to establish the foundations well. And that's got to be something we've got to do. 
We've got to be those that do the basic things well. You know, so often we can think, oh, what's the new thing? Actually, I think as Christians, we're called to pray. We're called to give. We're called to serve. How do we keep these basic things well? We can read the Bible. Michael Jordan, the basketball player, says this, when I was young, I had to learn the fundamentals of basketball. You can have all the physical ability in the world, but you still have to know the fundamentals. So I think, hey, if we want to dream for something, if we want to believe for something, we've got to realize we've got to still keep practicing on those fundamentals. And my final way by introduction is this. David recognized that he was totally dependent on God. It says at the end there, David was more powerful because God was with him. I mean, I love that. That's why I, I love gathering together to worship. Why? Because we, think, we recognize our total dependency upon God. I think it's amazing. Edward has hosted this meeting so well for us this morning, and he's not mentioned one thing. He's getting married in two weeks. It's the, first, it's the first time I've been around Edward, and he's not mentioned that. I remember well my wedding day. We had a verse read out on our wedding day. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. David was saying, actually, if I'm going to take on this battle, if I'm going to be established, I've got to recognize my total trust upon God. So now you've got something of this picture and this story and this city. Now I'd like to preach on it. You see, I believe that this is a picture for us as a church where we are right now. I believe that, yes, this was establishing the city of Jerusalem. Yes, this was to become his, sort of, his, his center, his communication point, his military point. But I tell you, there was something right inside David that thought, this is something I must do. I believe this is a picture for establishing. I believe that if you read the book of Samuel, there's two themes in it. One is the covenant and one is the kingdom. There's a sense of God is sovereign and God dwells amongst these people. And some would say that's why this is probably the key passage of the whole book because the physical city is built, but really it's a sign that God is with his people and God is king. David desired to take this city. I want to challenge us, how big is our desire? How much do we dream of doing something for God in Ealing, in London, and beyond? Is it something that's right in your gut? I believe for David it was. And now you're going to say to me, Pete, you're reading from the Bible. Tell me why. I'm glad you asked that question. You see, if you think about David, what do most of us know? The one story we might know about David, he took on Goliath. I mean, we were meant to be dancing like it this morning, weren't we? But have you ever remembered the details of that? For those that don't know, let me quickly outline. The Philistines were the enemy, and they were stood on one side, a whole army over here, and then literally on the other side were the Israelites, which were God's people. And the Philistines, they had this really big guy, a giant, called Goliath, and he said, right, I will come out and fight. 1v1. Let's not hurt everyone else. Whoever wins the 1v1, they win. Obviously, all the Jews, the Israelites, thinking, none of us want to take this on. Until David, the shepherd boy, turns up and says, I will take him on. 
And if you know anything, you know that he, he, he picked up this stone. He had it in his sling. Hit Goliath. And we used to sing a song about it when I was at school. Suddenly, bang, to his surprise, a small glass marble straight between the eyes. That was it. Goliath was hit on the forehead. It must have been about there somewhere. Down he goes. So what happens? David charges forward, doesn't he? Picks out his sword, chops off his head. What happens to his head? Oh, no. Who's read the Bible? What happens to Goliath's head? Nobody's going home until I've got the answer. <laughs> I used to be a primary school teacher. I can, I've got all the time. It's not my break time. We're losing. Uh, well, if you read, it says in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 54, David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. Now, I've got to be careful here, but I'd like to suggest that he always thought, I'm going to take that city. Here's the head of the enemy God has just given me. And one day I'm coming back for you. So David has almost felt this. There's something about, I want to see God's city established. I believe that is the place to go. God has just given him tremendous victory over his enemy. So what does he say? Look, you guys are next. I'm coming back for you. David had this desire and this drive. I'm going to take this city for God. What about us? Do we think like that? I believe that the establishing of Jerusalem is this picture of God as the king and him dwelling there. And now I want to tell you about my three points for this morning. And they all begin with P. There you go. Good preacher, eh? Three Ps of the kingdom, of this city, that I want to apply to us as we bring our gifts. When David wanted to see the city established, what was the one thing he wanted to see? The most important thing I would say he wanted to see? It was the presence of God. You see, what David did is he takes a hold of this city, and then he's keen to bring the ark into the city. Now, if you know anything, you know that the ark was where God's sort of presence on earth was. Now, he wasn't limited to that, but this was considered a, a, an image for the people. The ark was hidden in, in somewhere called the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. It's almost like that's where God dwells. So when David establishes a city... He wants to bring that. Now, if you know about the life of David, he then said, actually, it's not right that God's just in this glorified tent. Actually, I'd really like to build God a temple. Where is he going to build the temple? In the city of Jerusalem. Because what he said is, I want this city to be where God dwells. I want this to be a place where God dwells. God said to him, actually, through the prophet, no, no, you're not to build it, your son is. He didn't say, oh, that's not fair. What he said is, fine, I will fund my son everything I can. I will put as much money out of my personal wealth into it as I possibly can because I want to see this city built so that there's a, a sense of God dwelling here. And, and if I could ask for one thing about the church, it would be this. God's here. I don't, I don't know, do you believe that? I believe that. 
I believe that when we gather on a Sunday morning, it's great to have some nice band. I mean, whoever brought the Maltesers today, thank you. Pringles, top drawer, you know what I'm saying? But I don't come here for that. I come here because God is here. Do you believe that? Okay, then, why aren't you on time? In all seriousness, do we really believe God is here? Or do we just think, I rock up when I can? I want us to come together. When we come together and believe, God is in the place. Who's in the house? God is in the house. I used to do a youth event called Stonely. Well, I, I was responsible for the uh, 12s and 13s at Stonely. I used to have a 1,000 young people in a tent. And uh, we used to sing this song, God is in the house. Who's in the house? God is in the house. You know? And we used to get everyone bouncing. We had no chairs there, you know what I'm saying? It was young people, the smellier the better. We were all camping for the week, you know what I'm saying? And everyone would say, who's in the house? God's in the house. I think maybe we should do that here. I mean, why not? Let's push away the chairs right now. You know, maybe we should be bouncing up at it. Who's in the house? God's in the house. Do we believe it? I believe it. God is in the house. I mean, look around. There's some great people here. But actually, God is here. I honestly think, you know, that Jesus said, we're two or three are gathered under my midst. Why do I love coming on a Sunday? Because I believe that this is to be like Jerusalem. It's a place where God dwells. The presence of God is surely something we want to see in the place. That's why I love it when we get a contribution here. We often talk about spiritual gift. Sometimes it talks about a tongue, a heavenly language that is spoken out. Somebody else interprets it, tells us what it means. Whoa, God is it. Somebody sometimes gets a, a word or a picture. They say, oh, there's somebody here with a bad back. That's God revealing something. I suddenly think, whoa, God is in the house. This is what David wanted to build. This is what I would love us to build. The second P. What was David building in this city? What do I want us to build? People. Now, you say, how do I get that out of this? Because if you're totally honest, it was quite a small area. They think that this city, when he took it over, could only inhabit about 3,500. I'll tell you why I think this is so key. Because of where the city was. South of the city was Judah. Well, you all were listening at the beginning, so you know that's where David used to reign. That was the old kingdom. North of the city was the tribe of Benjamin. And some of you go, great, got it. Got what? Benjamin was the tribe that Saul came from. Saul was the previous king. Everyone thought Saul's son, Jonathan, would rule next. But God said, no, it's David. So by establishing this city right in the middle, he was uniting the two people that could have so easily been opposed. It would have been so easy for the, the tribe of Benjamin to say, no, no, we, we follow Saul. We're not interested in you, David. But actually, this city was this sort of key point. And so I believe that David was taking it over and saying, actually, what would seem opposite ends of the spectrum, we bring them in together. I believe the church should be like that. This is not political correctness. I believe this is a biblical picture of the church. You see, what I love about London, ready for your yeses, 
there are 300 languages spoken in London. The church should be a place where these come together. Half the children born in London in the year 2010 were born to mothers that had been born overseas. The nations are here. We could say yes to that. I know on a Sunday morning here, and I'm not sure today because I've not done a count, we've had up to 26 different nationalities represented. Yes. Not only that, I think that this was a place where the poor were welcomed. Now, it's funny because even when he's taunted and David approaches to establish this city, there's this whole saying, I don't understand it. Some of them were trying to say the lame and the blind, it was a proverb. And that, you know, but basically what it was saying is the lame and the blind, the despised, they can still outdo you. And then the comeback was, oh, the despised, they're not even allowed in there. What we do know is the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, all are welcome. Isaiah, the prophet, says this, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, the mute tongue shout for joy. When Jesus came demonstrating the kingdom, they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so he could both talk and see. That's in Matthew 12. So I believe the church is a place where all are welcome. The rich and the poor. The black and the white. The educated and the uneducated. The laborer and the academic. The married, the single. We're all welcome. I believe that the picture of this city was that all could come together. If you come regularly, you probably feel I'm having a go at you. Well, if you come regularly, I love you and you know that I am having a go at you. This is why I gather at 10 o'clock. This church is not about I, it's about us. We didn't call it I church, although that would have been quite trendy nowadays, wouldn't it? I was recently in South Africa and they don't even call it the Apple Store, they call it the I Store. You know, it's almost like everything is about me. Whereas we say, no, it's not about me, it's about us. And so genuinely, that's why I say to people, let's get involved in a community group. Why? Because it's about us. And genuinely, I say, let's gather together at 10 o'clock. It's not just, oh, it's about me. How do, I, how do I ask about somebody else's week? How do I find out about how somebody else's job is going? How could I, I never realize you've not been well? How, how could I pray for you? This is why we feel like it's all about us. It's about people. Third thing, my third point, and I'm, no, I'm running out of time. I believe that David wanted to establish a city that prophetically pointed to Jesus. Why then did he want to take Jerusalem? Now we know that Jesus was born of the line of David. We know that by David becoming king, that his, his sort of reign and his ancestors lasted for about 400 years. So we know that it could be something of that. We know that this was a prophecy that was given to Abraham in Genesis 17. I will make you fruitful and kings will come. I think there was something of that. But I think also David probably would have looked at two prophetic pictures from the Old Testament. Some of us may have even heard there was a guy called Melchizedek. 
He was the king of Salem. Many commentators think he was the king of Jerusalem, and that was shortened for him. He actually meets Abraham outside the city and gives him bread and wine. Many have now seen this as an, an understanding that there will come a Messiah whose body will be broken for you. The city where that happened was Jerusalem. And so David, by almost taking this city, was saying, hey, look, do you remember back in our history, do you remember this Abraham, I mean, the father of the faith at that time? Do you remember this guy who said to him, hey, look, there's bread and there's wine. Somebody's body will be broken. This Messiah will come. It was outside. They said, I'm taking this city. Why? Because I want you to remember a Messiah will come. I believe that actually he took this city because we think it was on the surrounding mountains that Abraham had taken his only son, Isaac. Genesis 22, you can read the story, can't you? Where God says to him, I want you to, to, to sacrifice your son. Go to Moriah. So he goes off to this mountain and, and literally the, the son says, Dad, what, where's the sacrifice? The father ends up bundling his son up, puts him on the altar, draws out a knife, is about to kill his own son. I'm not doing a parenting seminar this morning. We don't understand that. What I do know is this. God called out. God then said, look, see over there, there's a ram. It's caught in the thicket. Offer that instead. And so what did they say? On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so by David taking this city, he was saying, do you remember that story from the past? There will come provision on the mountain of God. And so I believe that symbolically him establishing the city in Jerusalem was him sort of saying, hey, a Messiah will come. There will be provision for us. I believe this points to Jesus Christ. Last weekend, we celebrate Easter. We realize, don't we, that he was led outside the city wall of Jerusalem, where he was nailed to a cross. We know that it was in a garden outside the city. He was placed into this tomb, and that he rose again. Yeah, I believe that David wanted this city to point to Jesus Christ. I would love us as a church to be pointing to Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong, I love curry too. I've even been to the restaurant just to check they do good food. Just on your behalf, I hope you don't mind. Thought I'd pop along there the other day, just thought I had a curry, it was great. But at the end of the day, it's an invitation for people to find out about Alpha because Alpha points to Jesus. And I'd much rather that they pointed to Jesus than just be filled with curry. That's why we did a crafternoon recently. I know some people were involved in that, the Thursday before Easter. It was amazing. Downstairs, you know, we were thinking, oh, maybe we could do some craft for kids. We had a great team of 18 people turn up, all put on T-shirts. We're there thinking, oh, who's going to come? 200 people ended up packing the room. Every adult that left, we said, great that you're here. We'd love to invite you to that alpha. Right? We want to point people to Jesus. 
for this whole morning. It's not meant to be a history lesson. And I feel that the passage was packed. I only read a few verses, and I feel I've run out of time again. The challenge is this. How committed are you to seeing the city of God built today? How committed are we to saying, hey, God, let your kingdom come here? You might not be a Christian. And in which case, I'd say, great, we would love to point you to Jesus Christ. We have booklets on the side here called Why Jesus. There's a prayer in there on page 18. You basically say, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. Please forgive me. I want to live for you. For some, you might say, God, I never understood the significance of this whole thing. Whereas for others, you might say, okay, now I understand the kind of church we are. It's be about the presence of God. It's about uniting people together. It's about pointing to Jesus. Are you willing to fight for the kingdom here? That was a yes moment, yeah? Are you willing to fight for the kingdom here? Do we give up too easily when there's opposition? Hopefully that's not a yes moment. Will you welcome all to come? Do you expect to meet with the king? I know that we're going to be doing this. I, I'll let these guys handle it. I think, to me, why are we giving? Because actually we're declaring he's king of our lives and we want to see his city built here. We want to see something established here. You think, wow, this is for your glory. I think David was prepared to go in and fight and do whatever. He thought, I've got to do that. This has brought shame to God long enough. He probably thought this city is just being shameful long enough. We're going to do something about it. I think, why, why am I here in Ealing? Because I want to see God's glory come. I think, oh, what could I put in? What would God let me invest today? Oh, that I could see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I'll hand you back to the team.